Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 323. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I'm recording this on Boxing Day, so I hope you had a lovely Boxing Day. Oh yeah, uh, Christmas and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah happened too, but really, the big one is Boxing Day. I'm saying that not really understanding what Boxing Day is. Hopefully it's not something super uh, serious that I've overlooked. But I am recording on Boxing Day, this being the uh, best opportunity I have to record between now and when the episode needs to come out. Uh, And so I am doing so, despite the fact that uh, I'm not feeling the greatest today. For Christmas, Santa brought me a cold, fever, stuffy head, cough, stuff like that. Not COVID. I tested. It's not COVID. But, uh, you know, good old-fashioned cold. I don't usually get colds. I know this is fascinating podcasting. I used to get a good cold in like October, November, somewhere in there. It'd last a few days and then be over and I'd be done for the winter. When COVID came along and uh, everybody was behaving somewhat in terms of spreading germs, that kind of stopped. And I really haven't gotten a cold in years. And now I guess maybe because everybody's relaxed a little bit, to their detriment overall, probably, uh, including me. Gotten a little lax in the uh, precaution department, probably more so than, than we should. I picked up some germs, obviously, so I have a cold. I'm happy it's not COVID, which makes this the 11th episode since I died of COVID. So uh, yay me, I guess. But at the same time, it's not great having a cold. But because you guys are awesome, I am going to power through and do this episode. I will do my best to edit out the coughs and the nose blowing. My voice is probably a little off. If uh, you're tuning in, if you regularly tune in to hear my sexy voice, I'm terribly sorry if this is uh, ruining it for you. Just know that the the sexy still lies within. Wow, I need to move on. So uh, I hope everyone had good holidays and, uh, and the start of the new year has been good for you. We're only a few days in as this episode is going out. Uh, 2023 which I don't like saying as much as 2022, just rolling the numbers around in my head. Not anything to do with the year specifically, although 22, not the greatest year on record for many reasons. And 2023 is brand new, so I don't know what the year is going to be like. But just in my head, hearing the numbers, 2023 doesn't sit as well on my tongue as 2022 does. That's just me. So I am still hopeful the actual year itself will be good, not just for me, of course, but uh, for all of you as well. So a good way to start the year is with a good game. And is this week's game that game? Well, let's find out. We're playing Time Warp for the 2600 from, from Zellers 1983. Zellers, as I understand it, was a Canadian discount department store, or perhaps a chain. Would you bet? If your family's looking for fashions, there's only one place to look. Only one store gives you the law of low prices on the brand name fashions your family loves. And only one store gives you free valuable Club Z points with everything you buy. The name... I gather from the internet, is now owned by a company called Hudson's Bay Company. Founded in 1931 in London, Ontario, in later decades it was based in Brampton, Ontario. 
Zellers was acquired by HBC in 1978 and then ceased operations in 2013. I don't know if we've had, that I recall, that many Canadian games on the show, uh, or, you know, games from Canadian companies, although I feel like we have. I am not as versed in the history of these games. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or if maybe even better, if you're new to this podcast, here's what you need to understand. Um, I am not in any way qualified to talk about the history of these games, or even more so, how these games are created and the nuances of playing them. Okay? I'm just a guy in his early 50s who got an Atari when Atari was new as a kid, loved the hell out of it, even though I only had a few games, and then put it away for decades, and then feeling nostalgic, pulled it out, because I could never bring myself to get rid of it. I wouldn't let my parents get rid of it. They did get rid of my Nintendo, which I am still not happy about, but the Atari stuck around, because I really valued the memories of playing the games that I had as a kid, and I decided to make a podcast based in Atari, though really as more an excuse to uh, have something to make me write every week or, you know, for every episode, which is where the short story part of the, the show comes from. So all of that is a long way of saying that I feel like there have been other Canadian-based games that I've probably done on the show, but I am not uh, recalling them right now. So if anyone knows of anybody other than Zellers, who I gather only did a couple of games, other Canadian-based Atari game production, and you want to chime in here, and uh, fill in the gaps in my knowledge, please do. Zeller's was, like I said, it was a department store, right? They sold clothes, they sold shoes, groceries, all that kind of stuff. And they apparently got a wild hair at some point to make video games. I don't know, but I imagine there was a board meeting somewhere along the way where where, uh, the guy, and I'm pretty much assuming it was a guy, I am further assuming it was a portly, balding guy with a big cigar, Again, I'm making all of this up because I have no idea. Sitting at the head of this long table with a bunch of yes-men lined up along on either side of the table, and he goes something like, Yeah, yeah, you know the kids, they like the video games. I don't get it, but they seem to like them, so let's make a video game. And everyone kind of looked at each other, and they're like, How do we do that? Nobody wanted to tell this guy no, so they did. And uh, Time Warp and another game were the result. If you really care, Zellers was founded by a guy named Walter P. Zeller and opened the first store on August 4th, 1928 in London, Ontario, if I didn't say that already. Zellers had worked for many years for Metropolitan Stores, Woolworths. Back in the day, Woolworths was the place, man. Woolworths and Sears. At one time, those were the department stores that you wanted to go to if you needed anything. And then Trusties as well which is a name I know, although I don't know that we had Treskies around where I grew up. The company continued to expand and expand until it didn't, basically. Uh, in 93, they bought up Wood, uh, Woodward's chain. They also bought up uh, Kmart's Canadian division. They got taken over, Hudson's Bay Company did, by a South Carolina businessman, Jerry Zucker, who sold off a bunch of stores, it looks like. They again changed ownership later. They were acquired by Target, and that kind of seemed to be the end of it there. Maybe. I'm, I'm summarizing quickly here. But I gather maybe they just became Target at that point. But, like I say, in the early 80s, they got this idea to make games. Time Warp came out in 83, as I said, and I can tell you how to play this game really quickly. It is a horizontal shooter, so you horizontally shoot stuff. 
honest to God, that's about all you need to know. Uh, there's one spaceship, five enemy ships flying at you in each wave. Once you shoot all five of those, they morph into a different wave. Sometimes they're helicopters, sometimes they're kind of UFO-looking things, sometimes they're parallelograms. I don't know what they're supposed to be, but each game has four rounds. Once you complete the four rounds, then it just repeats. Third and fourth rounds apparently are increased difficulty. The first five enemies you destroy, you get 20 points each. Second five, 25 points. Third, five enemy objects, you get 30 points each, up to 100 points. The scores are based on timing for the second and fourth rounds, up to 100 points. When the spaceship reaches the basement, I don't know what that means, the player gets a 90-point bonus. If you finish two rounds, you get a bonus of one extra spaceship, a minimum of nine ship, or maximum of nine ships. When the game is over, you push the select or the action button, and the game starts again. The end of each round appears to be. They don't talk about this in the manual because the, the the manual is one page, well, two pages. I just went through the entire first page. The second page is all of that in French. Qu'est-ce que tu as dans le crâne? Ooh, les cornes. Well, it could be uh, anything in French. I don't read French, so I don't know. Maybe it's a letter to Santa or a porn story. I don't know what it is, but it's something in French, which I assume is what I just went through in English. Uh, if anyone out there speaks French and you would like to uh, read us the manual in French, that might be fun, so uh, give it a shot. That is Time Warp for the Atari 2600 from Zeller's, the late great Zeller's department store chain. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K, podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. So I've kind of very briefly given you the sort of rundown of what Zeller's department store was. Dr. Spuds gives a little bit of history of Zeller's typical mode of operation with respect to video games back in the early 80s. The way Dr. Spuds describes it, they would quote, or they quote, stole the code and so sold it under their own branding. Games were usually sold in bright red boxes with some rather poorly drawn art on the front and the back. Occasionally there was also an instruction slip that had the basic scoring information in English and French. Close quote. But then, quote, they got into their twisted little heads, close quote, to uh, put out some original games. 
of which Dr. Spuds thinks there were two. One of them was this one, Time Warp, and then also something called Inca Gold, which I know nothing about. Uh, maybe I'll try to find it to uh, play on the show sometime. Dr. Spuds concludes that the game has very basic graphics, which is true, but are still impressive in their own way. I'm not sure about that. You fly a fairly high-res ship through a decent approximation of a cavern. I will agree with that. I think I mentioned in the field report that uh, the top and bottom of the screen, the play area, are not completely flat. There are different depths. Because in other words, not coming to me right now. They, it looks like a cavern. Why you're in a cavern, I don't know. But, you know, with uh, sort of uneven rock faces. Stalagmites and stalactites, I guess. Uh, and rock formations or whatever. So that, uh, points for that. The horizontal scrolling is a bit choppy, Dr. Spud says, but still serviceable. It has something that many 2600 games don't have, which is a second screen, which you can access in a rather complicated fashion if you read the instructions. One more thing that I find to be noteworthy, when you shoot the final enemy in each wave, it will split into five new enemies. It will actually break apart into the next wave, and I find that to be very cool. It is kind of cool. I give them that. Sounds are awful. I agree. When I play a little bit audio at the end of the story, you're going to find that it's probably not all that impressive because there really wasn't any impressive audio to be played. There's also a secret musical piece that plays when you complete the maze section, but it's rather unlikely that you will get there since this game is all kinds of hard. This game will kick your ass to the moon and back. Dr. Spuds likes how maneuverable the ship is, and I will agree with that, except in the maze, where your goal is avoidance. As you slowly move yourself through gaps, the exact height of your ship, you can speed up or slow down by pulling the joystick left or right, but you can't stop. The goal of the maze section is to make it to the weird glowy thing on the other side, getting there will award the player with an extra life. This is actually a very good, well-programmed game. A real shame that it came from Zellers. I would not advise you to buy any of the overpriced crap that is currently on eBay. In contrast, the Atari Times review gives the graphics 55%, not one of the game's strongest suits. Yeah, I know graphics weren't exactly the big thing on the 2600, but for its standards for the time, things could have been a bit better. Sound, 5%. I admit I'm being very harsh here, but that's because in terms of sound effects, this is, there is hardly anything to speak of. Gameplay, 70%. One interesting quirk is how the enemies can slant their shots, making them go a little diagonally instead of straight forwards. This is an interesting quirk which should keep players on their toes. While it's standard shoot 'em up fair, the fact you refuel in between rounds is an interesting touch, especially how you fly through those passages to do so. Oh. After defeating enemy targets, you'll proceed to the other half of the game. He kind of, in his review, he kind of splits the game into those two parts, which involves you flying through one of several narrow passages, to get to the docking port on the other side of the screen. That's the glowy thing that Dr. Spuds was referring to, I guess. I have no idea what the glowy thing is. This reviewer thinks it's a docking station. Controls 80% and overall 75%. I will say this for Time Warp, it's nothing really new, but it is unique in that it's one or of possibly few original games produced by Zellers. Dr. Spuds thinks there's only two. The simple gameplay with two different phases is retained well and it presents a solid change challenge to players, meaning that it's definitely worth a try at least once. The video game critic gave Time Warp a grade of D-. I roll my eyes when I see Zellers associated with an obscure Atari 2600 cartridge. It was one of those semi-legit companies that would publish any game for a buck. In this game, the mind-numbing shooting action is hampered by glitchy visuals, bad collision detection, and non-stop explosion sounds. I was so bored it took an unexpected bonus level to jar me from my stupor. I did the Time Warp, but I don't want to do the Time Warp again. Alright. After the break, the field report proves that time isn't the only thing that's warped.
Boxing Day, Henry. Do you know what Boxing Day is? No, I don't either. Henry's taking a break from uh, checking out his new Nintendo Switch. Maybe he'll talk about that on a future episode at some point. To film the legendary... Okay, maybe not legendary. Time Warp. This is a Canadian game, Henry. Isn't that cool? Yeah, me too. He shrugged. I'm kind of shrugging too. So, we're going to check it out and see if time flies or crawls along at an agonizingly slow pace. So, here we go. Horizontal shooter, nothing really unusual here, except that the top and bottom of the screen are not level, so you have to be careful where you are as far as moving up to the bottom or the top of the screen. As far as I can tell, there's not a single time element in this game. I don't know why it's called time warp, but it is. It is not a difficult game, unless you're being sloppy like me. Probably not going to be able to show you the only really interesting part of this game. But we'll see. See, I'm trying to hurry, and I'm just not doing it. going to make it. The ships are kind of interesting looking. This here, that one screen you saw with the weird little maze, you have to get through that maze without touching any of the red parts, and then I'm not sure what you're supposed to do after that, because the manual doesn't tell you, and I've only gotten there a couple of times this morning. Uh, it's a mystery to me. If anyone who's played this game knows what you're supposed to do, let me know. But I, as with most things in my life, don't know what to do. Do you have any thoughts about this game? Yeah, I don't have anything else to say either. So, Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller, or swim downstream to my website, tarnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here.
here's the thing about Time Warp. I like this game better than I should. Well, uh, to be clear, I find the game addictive more than I should. I agree with everything the reviewer said. It is pretty straightforward to the point of not being all that interesting. It's a horizontal shooter. There's not a whole lot going on except for the interesting little touches, which we've already talked about. The uh, rock formations in the cavern mean you can't just assume the top or the bottom of the screen is exactly where it was a moment ago. When the last ship in a wave is destroyed, the immediate reformation into a new wave of five ships is pretty cool to look at. I don't know what's going on with this maze thing. In the little bit that I played this morning, I only got there a couple of times, and I sucked at the maze because it is really, really hard. I got to the, the docking station or the glowy thing, whatever it is, only once and died because I touched something I wasn't supposed to. I think maybe it kind of looks like a, uh, a UFO thing where there's a space in the middle for you to sit in. I guess you're supposed to try to get in there, but I, like I say, I haven't made it. If anyone's done it and has thoughts about that, let me know. Uh, I've not played Inca's Gold. I don't know if Zeller's other attempt to make its own original game is any good. I don't hate this one. From what I read, I was primed to hate it, but I don't really. I may go back and play it some more, even though there's not much there. That, of course, uh, that uh, not much there is not an indictment of an Atari game. There are many games that are fun, even though there's not much there. Frankly, that's part of the appeal of an Atari game. You don't need to know a whole lot going in, necessarily. You just need to go in and kind of zone out and just enjoy the bright colors, honestly, and the and the sounds. Sounds in this game aren't so great, but colors and just the zoning out and, and just shooting spaceships. Sometimes that's all you want from an Atari game. When you're high on cold medicine, that hits your pleasure center. So I may do some uh, self-healing today with uh, some, some uh, what the hell's this game called? <laughs> some time warp because it doesn't require a whole lot of thought. So thumbs up for me. If you have thoughts about time warp, feel free to share them. If you've ever shopped at Zeller's, let me know that too. Was this a good department store chain? Better than Kmart? Better than Target? Should Target and Kmart have folded to Zeller's? You know, let's talk retail. My dad was a career Sears man, so I am all set to talk retail. Let's do it. Next time on the podcast, the joys of retail. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled The Terminal, The Eternal, and The Guy Who Counts Time. Edison drained his bourbon glass, sucked the ice cube a bit, and spit it back into the glass. So, I told Connors... Wait a whole second? Sorry, I work in nanoseconds. I'm already there. He laughed a little bit. Working at the government lab where they officially track time in nanoseconds, you develop an odd sense of humor. Jenkins smiled and nodded. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> it's kind of like when, when Holly Musgrave bet me I couldn't reshelve all the books in the college library in five minutes, but I already had. Edison finished. Well, yeah... Jenkins said, a little irritated that, yet again, Edison had finished his sentence. But I was going to say, it's like when I set the record for fastest time touring the Louvre. Sure, Jenkins said, that. Edison signaled to the bartender for another round. Jenkins' Manhattan was untouched. Hey, is Vaughn coming tonight? Edison asked. 
She said she'd be down in a bit. Edison glanced at their two phones side by side on the bar top. The clock on each of their lock screens turned over to minute 29 at precisely the same moment. Edison felt a rush of professional pride. He studied his friend. Did you see that specialist? Jenkins nodded. The second one? Yeah, I did. And? Jenkins shrugged. Still terminal. He paused. That was a couple days ago, so actually I guess it's a little more terminal now? Well, so there are 8.64 times 10 to the 13th power nanoseconds in a day, Edison said. Huge number. That's a lot of time. I could circle Yankee Stadium in that time. You could circle the stadium in a day? Yeah, I suspect that's doable. Edison made a face. You know what I mean. You got time to figure this out, is all I'm saying. Jenkins laughed a little at that. No matter what kind of bow you put on it, the package is still a shiny box of turds. Well, you know what we say at the time lab, Edison said. Enjoy the good now, run ahead of the bad. They say that, do they? Well, we're good at time, not so great at proverbs. The air in the bar chilled, a mist rolled over patrons, freezing them in time for just a moment as the doors parted. Through the fog, a silver-cloaked figure glided in. Once through, the bar patrons resumed their place in the space-time continuum. Vaughn, Edison called, waving to their friend. Over here, the shimmering, long-haired vision approached the end of the bar. She took a seat next to Jenkins. Greetings, she said. Vaughn nodded serenely. Hey, Vaughn, Edison said. I was just telling Jenkins how much time there really is in a day when you break it down. I have seen it all, Vaughn said. However you shape time, there is indeed a lot of it. And a lot of time means a lot of time to do things, right? I have seen many things happen, yes. What did you do today, Edison? Jenkins said. I counted time, Edison said with, a, with pride of accomplishment. And, Edison considered, lunch, then more time counting. Marking time, Jenkins said, kind of like me. And me, Vaughn said. Only, Edison marks time by choice, Jenkins said. You're an eternal being. It's just who you are. I'm a dead man walking, Edison winced. Not a career choice for either of us, Edison, Jenkins said, pointing to Vaughn. Only for you. Time is the most important thing we have, Edison said. We need to know how it moves, Jenkins snorted. I can answer that. It moves way faster than you expect. Many have wished for time to speed up or slow down, Vaughn said. I can tell you from personal experience... Time marches on in its own way. Jenkins smoothed his still thick hair, finally took a sip of his drink, hesitated before asking his question. So, as an eternal, you can tell me what's going to happen, right? With all of this? Vaughn regarded her all-too-mortal friend. If you asked me how mankind came into being, I could describe the exact moment cells combined in the right combination. If you asked me about world wars or the cavemen or what it was like to see pirate ships come over the horizon, army tanks of all designs smashing through the front lines in countless wars, families being born and dying out generations later, or if you wanted me to describe how a star looks from birth to supernova, or what it's like to lose friend after friend after friend after friend, I could tell you all this and more, yet I cannot tell you what is to come. No one can. Well, that sucks. Jenkins laughed ruefully. So I'm on my own, counting down to a mystery that isn't really so much of a mystery. Despite the chatter and clinking of glassware in the busy bar, silence shrouded the friends. Edison and Jenkins felt it. We're pretty sure Vaughn caused it. 
but couldn't be totally sure. Jenkins sighed. Today, I got up really early and watched the sunrise. I mean, it's just a sunrise. I've seen a lot of them, frankly. Remember when I worked the overnight shift at that security job when we were in school? Then on weekends, we'd stay out all night and stagger home in the red morning glow. I was so tired when we were in school, Edison said, but never happier. I don't sleep, Vaughn said. Well, today, since I got up so early, I had lots of extra time, and I wondered what I should do. I feel pretty good so far, so, but I don't know how, that, how long that's going to last. So I really thought about what I should do today. It's not like a movie where the dying man goes on a crusade to cure a disease or reunite with his family or, I don't know, fight the aliens and ride their spaceship to their home planet where they have a magic cure. Instead, I thought about stuff like, should I give my stuff away to goodwill? Wait, I still need things, though. I'm still here. Or, I considered rerouting the tile in the shower. Then I thought, why do I give a crap about that? That'll be someone else's problem soon enough. Stuff like that. So... All I ended up doing was reading a book. It's a big book, and I like it, and I want to see how it ends before, you know. I counted nanoseconds today, Edison said. That's all I do. I stood high atop a mountain, bathed in the streams of time, Vaughn said, feeding a soul that won't die with the essence of all existence. So, a typical day for all of us, Edison said. Familiarity breeds contempt, Jenkins said, but it also breeds comfort. A martini with two olives appeared before Vaughn. The three friends drained their glasses. So, now what do we do? Edison asked. Order another round? Jenkins suggested. And so they did. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Head over to Apple Podcasts and Warp Time by reviewing episode 509, if you like. Just make sure to give it five stars. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Yes, I'm still there. I'm apparently riding this ship down over the falls as far as I can. You can also follow me personally over there at Carnival of Glee. I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, the Atari Bytes uh, program is. We're also on Hive and Mastodon, uh, but over there, all my stuff is at Carnival of Glee. Uh, this podcast, the other podcast, whatever weird personal stuff I want to post, that sounds strange, but it's all Carnival of Glee. C-A-R-N-I-V-A-L-O-F-G-L-E-E. You can also call me and leave a voicemail. I'm never ever going to answer the phone. Call 563-265-1978. Leave a message about, well, pretty much whatever you want, and there's a good chance I'm going to play it on the podcast. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. There's stuff about this show, stuff about my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, stuff about books that I've done, other stuff that I've done, uh, all there in one place, because that's how websites work. So uh, head over there, check that out, Maybe you see something you like. You can also support the show over there on Patreon.com. Patrons get my thanks. 
they can also sometimes get other stuff and uh, I would appreciate it if you would do that you will also join an exclusive club with existing patrons who already have my thanks including Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jeremy L., Mark Super, Jim Goebel, and Robert Ferguson. Thank you to one and all. All right, we're about out of here, which means I can go take a nap. But first, I have to tell you what's coming up next time on Atari Bytes. We're going to play Gauntlet for the 2600. I am stealing blatantly from uh, Ferd, who did this game, I think, not long ago on his podcast. And uh, it sounded interesting, so I'm doing it over here. I'm sure nowhere near as well as he did. But we're going to check it out. Gauntlet for the 2600. In the meantime, you all should start the new year in the best way possible by playing some old games. They've missed you.